This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Phoenix Reborn, and the author, Raphael A. Marty. And Raphael joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Raphael. Hello, Steve. How are you? Phoenix Reborn. I want to read what you have written about it, just to give everyone a kind of a general overview before we start discussing some of the details. You say this, Phoenix Reborn is a fast-paced espionage thriller where the hero must battle his alleged adversaries and his personal demons in the form of paranoid schizophrenia. Well, that should be uh, <laughs> quite a challenge. <laughs> why, why did you write this, Raphael? As I mentioned on my website and on a couple of interviews I've had, I'm a medicated paranoid schizophrenic and a veteran of the U.S. Army, veteran of foreign wars. And I thought it would be interesting to have a character that had the same challenges that I experienced to an extent. I made him a Green Beret uh, Special Forces because I have the utmost admiration for that unit. And for that, for those teams, um, but I admire all our men and women in uniform. So you say that you have the same kind of challenges that the main hero has because of of your prior military service. Yes, my my condition is connected to the military service. Um, it was determined by uh, the Veterans Affairs. Therefore, I was awarded my uh, service connected compensation right and we're not going to go into any of the uh, details of why and you couldn't tell us anyway i know right <laughs> yeah i'd rather not discuss those issues. right well but this gives you personal experience of being able to portray a character like the main character nathan christopher styles correct yeah it gives me uh, an insight at least to his illness um and uh the challenges he faces with that illness. Okay, so as we open up the book, uh, Nathan has just had something very unexpected happen to him. Tell us about what has happened to Nathan. Well, he, poor guy, I put him through the ringer. I had him get kicked out of his home by his wife. She burned his, uh, ripped up his credit cards and withdrew all the money from the savings account and bank account, left them burned, if you will, um, with no place to go, and he has no clue what to do. So we find him homeless on a park bench. And we don't know why at this time. What in the world is going on? What in the world is, what is his wife up to? Exactly. That's the big question <laughs> we that we lead off with, right? Exactly, and uh, and we discover why throughout the book, why that happened. Um, it's uh, got a lot of plots, twists, and turns. Now, Nathan was a soldier, and he also uh, works for a very interesting uh, company called International Crisis Control. Tell us about this company that he works for. 
Well, I drew that experience from my time working at International SOS Assistance as an operations coordinator. Um, they provide medical and security evacuations for people traveling around the world. Um, and uh, I decided to put them in that role because uh, when I got out of the military, that's one of the jobs that I did. And I said that would be a perfect fit for him. Well, this kind of has that same kind of feel, the same kind of uh, themes, the the intrigue, the drama, as uh, the Bourne trilogy. Yeah, it's 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 the Bourne trilogy meets a beautiful mind. Meets the beautiful mind. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, that this is that. Uh, let's see. Uh, what's her name? Is it Vanessa? Is that her name? Yes. Uh huh. Okay. She comes in. We, we we showcase her in the beginning of the book, but she really comes in in, in the second part of the book. Because the book is broken up in three parts. Now, why did you do it that way? Why did you make the book into three different parts? Well, I had initially published the second part, uh, From the Ashes, as a novelette in 2007. And I kept on getting from readers, we want to know more. We want to know what happened. We want to know the, the beginning and, 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 and the end. Um, so I went back to the drawing board and I said, let me just write the novel. So it's uh, part one is Burn, part two is From the Ashes, and part three is Rebirth. Now what kind of a role does... Rob Rossinelli play in the book. Uh, he's uh, what Nathan's buddy. Yes, best friend, brother in arms. You know, they're they're out of the military at this point, um, but they stay in touch. And uh, he plays a, a very pivotal role in, in the story. So how would you sum up the theme? Uh, what is, uh, you know, what kind of, uh, give us some kind of a plot that we can uh, understand what is going on here, what is happening to uh, Nathan, and sounds like he's going to be drawn into something uh, even dangerous. Yes, well, um, he believes that um, because his mind is failing him, that he may have become a national security risk. And he, he starts believing this and after uh, a major traumatic event occurs in his life. Um, and so he believes that they may be targeting him uh, because he sees people that he hadn't seen before. Um, and whether this is an aspect of his schizophrenia or whether the government is actually trying to target him will be revealed throughout the story. Um, I'm not saying that our government does that. I just thought it would make an interesting story. <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't uh, go into discussing that. Uh, maybe we will both be uh, watched. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> now, uh, his uh, former wife, does she kind of uh, appear and reappear throughout the story, uh, Shelley? She appears. She appears uh, in the first uh, part of the story, and uh, I can't reveal whether she appears later on in the story or not without giving away too much. Okay, well, but you call her the woman of his nightmares. 
Yeah, she was supposed to be the woman of his dreams, but she turned out to be the woman of his nightmares, yes. Give us uh, another view of another character. Uh, there must be the, uh, some major antagonist in this. Who who would that be, or who are, maybe it's they. It's, it, it is a they. It is a they. Um, uh, two, two government agencies, and, and uh, actually several government agencies are involved in this, um, because it was... Uh, a covert thing that happened to Nathan. And so I drew um, people's perceptions of these government agencies and I made them be the villains, if you will. But it's not actually these agencies, but rogue operatives within these agencies. Right. And so it's it's what Nathan knows then, correct? Yes, as well he knows what he's carrying in his head that should it leak out, um, poses uh, or makes him a national security threat. You're very pleased with a recent review that you've received about your book. Tell us about that. Uh, yes, I am. Uh, Richard R. Blake for Reader Reviews gave me four out of five stars. And he gave me a, a nice write-up. Um, he really enjoyed the book, and uh, and I hope more people out there are enjoying the book. And uh, I'm pleased. Uh, I'm ecstatic. Now, you're also working on a screenplay of the book. Yes. Uh, Marcus Chait, the director of new media from Alter House, and uh, Sean Doon, the screenwriter, and I are collaborating on a screenplay uh, for the movie. Um, I already received the Hollywood treatment. It's based on the novel. It's not actually the novel. I like the direction the screenwriter is taking it in. Uh, he's getting input from me as well as to how these characters should behave. Um, and uh, I look forward to one day looking at it in the big screen. Now, you have a disclaimer at the beginning. Uh, why the disclaimer? Because I don't want people to think and read it and think, oh, my God, our government is doing this for real, you know, um, because it's all fiction. <laughs> yeah, you say, and, uh, you say any resemblance I, to any real person or event is merely coincidental. Yes, yes, because there may be people who... who, who have paranoid schizophrenia or may have the same name um, as Nathan Christopher Siles uh, or, or any of the characters in there. And uh, um, I wanted to make sure that they know that this fiction is just coincidence that they have to share the same name as the individual. And you also say in the disclaimer that uh, you say adult language and violent scenarios. Yes. <laughs> yes, so that um, some young teenage kid doesn't pick it up and read it, and, and it's not appropriate target audience for my book. Um, my target audience is speaking and up. And so they, uh, there's, there's some uh, real strong uh, violent confrontations. Yes, there are. There are some strong violent confrontations. Um, uh whether they're real or imagined, the reader will find out throughout the story. Now, tell us about your website. 
It's www.rafael, that's R-A-F-A-E-L, A-Marti, M-A-R-T-I, dot com. And in there, you can see a video trailer to the book, um, which will whet your appetite for wanting to purchase a book. It also has uh, the review from Richard Blake, um, alongside with the press release uh, and uh, some other information, information about the author, myself, uh, and the information about the book. How do you view people coming out of uh, very traumatic experiences, war, uh, different kinds, and like in this is espionage, uh, of how do you feel, uh, and maybe, maybe this is represented in your book, are you trying to say anything about uh, these people and, and how we, how, what we should feel about them and how sh- they should be treated? Well, they should be treated with the utmost dignity and respect, um, because even though they may have some sort of post-traumatic stress disorder or or some sort of mental illness, um, they serve their country in whatever capacity, uh, whether it be through uh, civilian government or military, and uh, they've done it in good conscience for the freedom that we enjoy. Freedom is a free, they pay the price. And I think that I want the reader to take away the fact that just because they may have these illnesses uh, as a result of their service doesn't make them any uh, less of a person than you, you or anyone else. Well, we thank you, Raphael, for your service. I know it's uh, you had to pay a price, and uh, even today you struggle with, as you say, paranoid schizophrenia and anxiety disorders. Uh, that's just part of everyday life. Yes, it is. It is. And it, it, it was one of the most challenging things for me as I wrote the book was to concentrate. So I put on music and, and tried to concentrate because with schizophrenia it's difficult to concentrate um a lot of people have the misconception that schizophrenia is multiple personality disorder i made it clear in my book that it's not um and uh, i hopefully enlighten the reader as to what schizophrenia apparently schizophrenia is all about well thank you Raphael. thank you for being with us on author talk well, thank you, Steve. It was my pleasure. Now, we can also get your book at your website, and uh, where else? Uh, through my website, which links to the Author House website, my publisher. Uh, it, it's their bookstore. Um, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and Borders.com. Oh, and Tony Reader. Forgot about that. <laughs> it's, it's also a digital format. Thank you again. Well, thank you, Steve. It was my pleasure. That was Rafael A. Marti. He is the author of his book, Phoenix Reborn. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Innovation and insight, problems and solutions, capitalizing on your ideas and efforts. That's all a part of Changing the World One Invention at a Time with Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 Central on Toginet.com. 
Rick will be sharing stories of innovation, invention, inspiration, and overcoming obstacles with guests who have been there, done that, and are doing that. Rick will be asking the right questions, helping you identify the real problems, and showing you how to act on your ideas by increasing consumer confidence, and more importantly, increasing your confidence to act on your ideas. For even more information, go to thinktech, that's T-E-K, globally.com. Then join us as Rick and his guest teaches how to develop new ideas and create new products, new businesses, new jobs. And together, let's get our economy growing again. It's changing the world one invention at a time. With author and inventor Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 central on toginet.com. was sad, right. cause he had a death kill mommy and dad, right. but that ain't the case, nope. it wasn't his fate, nope. the walls never struggled to communicate, y'all wave your hands, look who's on, it's the code of man Keith and he's number one, it's that Keith Wine Show on toginet.com, Wednesday nights at 8, 7 central, every week that Keith Wine Show will have guests that share their experiences, expertise, opinions, and personal lives with us, to hopefully help us better understand others, the topics and guests will come from the American Sign Language community, for more on Keith Wine and the show, go to his website, KeithWanWANN.com. Listen with an open mind and willingness to learn and help with the cultural bridge. Number number one, Keith's number one. Everybody clap because the Coda Man's on. Number number one, Keith's number one. Everybody clap because the Coda Man's on. Don't miss that Keith Wan Show. Wednesday nights at 8, 7 central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Finding My Breath, My Journey from OCD to Yoga. And the author, Rochelle Lynn Follick. And Rochelle joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Rochelle. Hey, Steve. How you doing? I'm going to read a little bit from what you've written about your book. You say this, my book sends a wonderful message that people cannot always choose what happens to them, but everyone can choose how they handle themselves during times of stress. I'm very passionate about yoga and its ability to help people manage stress, OCD, depression, etc. I feel that my book tells my story through a lifelong journey of both emotional and psychological hardship. And for this reason, I believe I am as interesting as my book is. Well, your life is certainly filled with some, you've had some great challenges, Rochelle, and uh, you're yeah. proof that uh, people can get through it, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you have the will, you know, there's going to be a way. And the whole thing is getting that desire to, to swim and not sink. And sometimes we, we don't know how it's going to happen or where we're going to get it from. And with me, it happened through yoga, you know, and it was life-changing. It was um, an awakening to, um, to life, and it helped me so much with my compulsion and uh, dealing with everyday stress and, and horrible kind of stress. Well, a lot of people feel like they're a victim and they don't know what to do. Now, your story is the story of a victim, a, a very young girl that was abused by uh, your mother's housekeeper, right? Right. 
So at that moment in time, and I know this is very hard to talk about, but at that moment in time, how did you deal with that? Well, I was so young, Steve. I was, you know, two years old when it started. So um, I started to count as a way of taking myself out of the situation. I just counted over and over and over until it was over. And I, what I want to um, say about that is, yes, I was a victim, but I don't want people to feel sorry for me because as horrible as a story that it, it is and it might seem, I have come so far, and that's really why I wrote the book, because I know a lot of people suffer with different kinds of problems, you know, some OCD, some depression, like you said, million things, you know, even no money or financial issues and bad marriages and uh, life. This is life. You know, we can't stop life unless we kill ourselves. And you can choose to do that or you can choose to really find happiness and, you know, I chose to live, and I chose to live happy, and I am continuing to better myself every day. And um, You mentioned OCD, and for everyone, that's obsessive-compulsive disorder. Uh, it's a, right. It's a, well, it, it literally dominated your life for a long time, didn't it, this counting? Oh, yeah. I mean, you, some, I couldn't you couldn't get rid of it. on anything. You couldn't do it. You couldn't get rid of it in school. School was really hard for you. Right. I just sat and stared, and in my mind, you know, my compulsion, people have different compulsions. Some people wash their hands and do things like run around uh, doing opening, closing doors. Like, mine was all in my head. It was just counting over and over like a pattern where it was so um, so active in my brain, I didn't even know I was doing it. I just thought it was the normal way to be most of my life you know so i i couldn't hear really what was going on it's it's almost like people with um add they can't concentrate on one thing more than one thing at a time with this compulsion or obsession i couldn't stop counting things visually mentally so it took away from my life my ability to listen my ability to learn my ability to interact with with other people and, uh, yeah. Now, you say 30 years later, after being this uh, victim, uh, you stumbled, you used the word stumbled, <laughs> upon the world of yoga. Now, how did that happen? Well, I think everybody gets a chance to, uh, you know, they go to their gym or something like that, and they, they can stumble upon yoga. But with me, um, my mom was having a yoga class, <laughs> funny enough, and uh, they needed a fill-in. And um, I said, sure, why not? And I went. And I can't say that I was like a fish in water the first time. Oh, my God, it was a whole revelation. It wasn't. It was like, oh, this is really weird. <laughs> you know, what, what, is, what is he talking yeah. about? Like, How is this going to help me? <laughs> right. Not only that, I wasn't looking for the help in yoga. I was just looking for physical exercise to be to be more beautiful even you know it had nothing to do with spirituality or com or obsessive compulsive at that time it was just an, another way to do exercise yeah so that's that was my first time and um then uh it left me with a little bit of curiosity 
Like, I liked the way I felt when I left for some reason, and I couldn't really understand why. I thought it was just the, the endorphins got going, like, you, like when you have a good run. But it was different, and um, I tried it again, and I found myself, you know, being drawn into it, into this world of, oh, my God, you know, this is, this is different. This is getting to know myself a little bit. I'm opening up in, in different ways. I'm, you know, over time, I became more compassionate, more understanding, and the main thing was I found a way to control the obsession. The obsession. So this surprised you. You didn't expect this at all. And suddenly you realized that this new uh, behavior pattern uh, that you were using in your life, the thinking, the the breathing, the exercises, uh, suddenly you were thinking differently. Absolutely. I was finding myself coping with life in a different way. You know, instead of screaming right away, I was breathing. I was just breathing. And, you know, you'd be surprised. I know it sounds silly, but just taking a deep breath can be it from from killing somebody to, you know, saying, see you later. It, it's just an amazing thing how how things happen like that. Now, were you on medication for any? Yes. You were. Yes. And, I, and I can't say that I, I really don't want to put the medical world down because I do believe that if that were a way to help somebody, you know, if medication helps you, then you have to be happy in this life. But for me, <clears throat> it was just too many side effects, and um, it, it just wasn't working because there's really no medication for OCD. It's really more for depression, and they combine things, and they, you know, I guess when you're less depressed, you're less likely to to obsess. But the yoga... Um, gave me a sense of, you know, instead of just having a head, (laughs) I I had a body. So when I start to count in my yoga class, let's say, you know, if I'm holding a pose and it's, it's tough, all of a sudden my mind starts working, I'll start counting, I'll bring my awareness into the body. I'll bring my attention to where I'm stretching even, and it takes all that pressure off my brain if that makes any sense. Well, it does, because obviously, because of all the trauma at such a young age, you used the counting as a safety area in your life, as a uh, uh, some kind of protection, so yes. you wouldn't have to think about, I guess, you know, all the terrible things that you went through, and it just That's got right. to be such a habit, it was so ingrained, That's right. that you would have to literally... Uh, think through it and and change your thinking it's it's right. it makes obvious sense but it's sometimes the obvious we don't go there right well when you're looking for a way to better yourself you'll try anything and um you know i once heard i, I think i even put it in my book <clears throat> i once heard that um in the army they trained the men you know if they were ever taken uh prisoner of war they train the men with counting techniques, mm. you know, to, to count it, to just um, make make the pressure yeah. of the situation lessen. So it's not like I'm the only one in the right. world right. who ever did this. Now you've yeah. become a yoga teacher. Yes. Yes, because I, I got so um, passionate about yoga 
how it helped me, you know, that I had to just do it for other people, you know, whereas before, before the yoga, it was all about me, 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 what can I get and who's going to do it for me? And then when I became involved in the yoga, I, I just couldn't stop sharing it with everyone. And I started with my friends and I, I was trying to get my family and which, which all are very supportive and into yoga as well. But, um, I, I even took a trip to Bali, uh, with 11 women from around the world and went on a yoga retreat. And I, I felt the, the need, you know, to teach, to teach people. And then that led to my need to write a book to reach out to more people because, um, nobody should have to suffer. I mean, we, we can't, like I said, like you said, that I said, you know, you can't choose what happens to you because this is, this is in, I believe, in God's hands. And, but we can really choose how we deal with it. Now, you've had some great challenges in your family. Uh, three cancers at one time. Yeah. And you give tribute to uh, the yoga in your life to help you through it. Yes, it, it absolutely kept me grounded, and um, it, it gave me a, a, a purpose as well. I, you know, we, my sister, my daughter, and my mom all had cancer within eight months of each other. At one time, my sister and my daughter were doing chemo together in the same room. So um, I found myself not only with my family but with strangers, you know, going around and giving visual meditations and breathing techniques to people who were alone. You know, some people had nobody there with them. We were like 15 strong in our family, and these people were sitting there with no one, and I, I connected with those people, but that was my way of escaping what was really happening as well by helping other people. And uh, I really believe that the yoga and the breathing techniques and the, even the meditations helped me and my family get through that. And everyone's fine, by the way. <laughs> the themes in your book, child abuse, substance abuse, mm -hmm. obsessive compulsive disorder, and then the answer for you has been yoga. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where do you see yourself going from here? What's your, what's your vision, Rochelle, of uh, where do you go from here? Well, I just keep going uh, with the yoga. I keep taking different courses, different classes. I hope that my book will take me um, to places around the world where people don't even know about yoga, where I can open their eyes to it. You know, I once told a friend, if everyone in the world did yoga, there would be no war. There, there really wouldn't be because you, you can't be a fighting kind of person if you do yoga. It's just very hard to... <laughs> It's it's almost like impossible. So I see myself um, continuing to help other people and continuing to um, get more knowledge about yoga and different traditions I'm always curious about and just uh, bringing up my grandchildren and my kids and being with my husband and traveling and just being happy at one breath at a time. And yoga has improved your life in so many other ways. You have touched on it a little bit, but uh, even with physical conditioning and personal relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, um, <clears throat> I became what I wanted to be in my mind. You know, I grew up like a little ugly duckling, and 
that could have been true or false, but the way I felt wasn't a beautiful person because of my insecurities and what happened to me as a child. And you feel so beautiful when you do yoga. You really do. You find yourself. And it, then it doesn't really matter uh, what you look like on the outside, but then you, you start to give off that vibe. And then people do see you as a beautiful person, no matter what you look like, you know. And physically, of course, it's you know it's great exercise. But um, it's, it's probably all hard about what you think of yourself, really. It's how you see yourself. It's yeah. probably hard for people to understand that without actually doing it, like you say, when the first time you did it. Uh, you, I was giggling. Yeah. I was laughing. Yeah, it, it was strange. But but all of a sudden you started feeling different and thinking different. Yeah, yeah. All the time, it just it just um, it's it's a science yoga. It's like a philosophy. It's a, it's um it's a beautiful thing. It's a practice where it just uh, it's just opens you up to really what life is all about. You know, not the nonsense and and the hardships and really, but how can you better yourself, really? How can I feel like this all the time, not only during my yoga class? How can I live like this? And so the more you practice, the more naturally it comes, the, the happier you become, the more at peace you become, and the more you <clears throat> give off that, that vibe to other people. You know, that, that other people want to be with you. They want to be with you because you're pleasant. And I love people, and I'm always looking to make new friends, and um, it helped me. It helped me a lot. I, I grew up with no friends and very, very lonely because of my problems, and uh, it gave me a whole new world. The title of the book, Finding My Breath, My Journey from OCD to Yoga, and the author is Rochelle Lynn Fallick. Rochelle Rochelle, tell us how to get your book. Oh, you can go online uh, to either my website, findingmybreath.com. You can go to Amazon or .com, barnesandnobles.com, and uh, you can order it there. And I also want to say that um, Michael Malice helped me write the book, and um, he's a good friend of mine, and I just wanted to give him some credit because if it weren't for him, he put down my words so so naturally, you know, he put up with me and my battling, <laughs> and he, he really helped me sort through this book and helped me make it cohesive, and I wanted to thank him, too, and I hope everybody buys it. Well, thank you for being with us on Author Talk, Rochelle. Thanks, Steve. That was Rochelle Lynn Fallick. She is the author of her book, Finding My Breath, My Journey from OCD to Yoga. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. People think I've made it. I'm popular. I seem happy all the time. I have great clothes and I'm involved in everything. But I have questions, doubts, and fears, just like every other teenager. That's why I'm glad for Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices. Join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. The choices we have to make that can alter the course of our lives. Life is too much pressure if we try to go it alone. I tune in to Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell every week to get reminded that I'm not alone. 
Nicole Adele is an expert on what happens in the lives of teenagers. Join her as she deals with topics like peer pressure, purity, drugs, alcohol, and many other things that might come up along the way. She writes books and speaks to people all over the place, but she says her favorite moments are when she can pull up a chair and chat with teens about what's important to us. For more information on Nicole and her books, go to NicoleOdell.com. Then join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet.com. Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices. The American Rock and Roll Countdown with Alex Price. So where were you in the 1970s? Well, this Saturday morning, we're going to flash back to the 70s as we count down the classic hits with the American Rock and Roll Countdown. You'll hear news and information and stories about the artist and what was going on during the specific week that we highlight. So be sure to join us at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Saturday on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Have We Lost Our Common Sense? And the author is Bob Terrell, and Bob joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Bob. Hi, how are you doing? It's good to talk to you, Steve. Well, good to have you with us. Now, I'm going to read a couple things you have written about your book, just to kind of set the stage for our discussion. Uh, You say this, Have We Lost Our Common Sense? challenges us to focus and act on those things that can make a difference in the quality of life of our people and not in judging and demonizing those whom we have some differences in belief. You also say, my book is a reminder that we are all God's children. As we minister unto the least of these, we minister unto God. It is a reminder that to whom much is given, Much is expected, and also I address the most divisive issues we face today. Some will resent that I would have the audacity to call into question religious zealots. Some won't like that I have spoken up for tolerance for gays and lesbians. I'm at the age in which I am not worried about someone disagreeing with me. Everyone has a right to disagree with me, but I also have the right to my own opinions and beliefs as well. So we're going to cover a lot of topics that you have focused on in your book. Title again, Have We Lost Our Common Sense? Bob, tell us why you wrote the book. I have watched uh, these last years as our nation has gone into a war, and it gave me a contrast of when I was a small boy and I hugged my dad goodbye when he left for World War II. My dad was a school teacher. And I was 10 years old when he left. Over the next few years, I saw the people of this country join together. There was no whining about tax cuts for the wealthy. There was no griping and moaning about uh, any of those things. We rationed gasoline. We couldn't buy bacon and meat. We collected scrap iron. We all joined together, mothers, grandmothers, canned food. We had our own gardens. Young women went off to work in defense plants. And we all came together as a people. There was not the rich, the poor, the privileged. We were all in the same boat together. And in recent years, I have watched while a few of our people 
have gone to war and are dying and being maimed and being damaged and their families are suffering from this and most people here at home are going on their own merry way and i believe if it's important enough to send our precious young people and even older people today or if it's if it's important enough to send them to war then once again we should all get in the water together the treacherous uh, waters and we should all be in there working to get the war all over we're in our 10th year of being in afghanistan and I think back to where World War II lasted 44 months for our country, and it was fought all over the world, and we won that war in 44 months. And here we are now in a small corner of the world, and we've been in Afghanistan 10 years. And it came to me that our economy, our whole approach to life, that we need to get back to our value system, and we need to get back to working together. Well, you say that chills run up and down your spine when you hear the the music and words of God Bless America, and that's what you've just summed up, I guess. uh, Yes. So how do we keep America strong? That's one of your chapters. Well, uh, one of the things I believe is that we at times think that we're supposed to intervene in every problem in the world. One of the best ways we can have a good impact in the world is to be strong ourselves, to keep our own house strong and in order. You know, you go into a war and you have Halliburton with no-bid contracts. You have stashes of cash disappearing over in Iraq. You have all these kinds of things happening. And what does it show the rest of the world? It shows the rest of the world that you're in a war, and it's not just to help save other people's lives. It's for oil. It's for our own enrichment. And so I I think our first priority is how do we keep our nation strong, morally strong. And I'm not saying everybody's got to, we're not any of us perfect, but we got to keep America strong, our value system strong, and we can't go try to correct every problem across the world. So that's the first step I would take. Secondly, I would say that in our business world, We've got to get back to caring about our employees. I was fortunate when I came along in business in 1959 after serving in the Marine Corps. I joined Ford Motor Company, and I found at that time that, by and large, there was a real care about employees. I'm not saying everything was perfect, but people could count on having, if they did a job, they could count on having a long and good career. Today, our young people come out of school, and there's there's no likelihood that they're going to have a long career with anybody. I think they predict now that each person coming out of college will end up working for eight to ten companies. And that takes away the the retirement opportunities, the retirement income that they can generate. And we have, it's different today for young people than it was for me. And I want to see us get back to that point where people growing up in this country, if they are willing to work, they can have an opportunity for them and their families. When I was coming out of the service, 
one of the great goals of life was to own your own home. And I didn't go out and try to buy a big mansion. I bought a little house for my wife, and we had two little girls when I came out of the Marine Corps. And we were happy to get in that little house. Today, we have generated such desire for immediate wealth, and people buy above their income. Uh, people buy bigger and more expensive cars at times. And so we have got to get back to having a little more patience, being willing to save, and to get back to feeling that employees are important and that uh, get-rich-quick schemes are not the purpose of life. One of your uh, topics, one of your chapters, deals with the way women are treated. What are your views on that? Well, my mother was a tremendous influence on me. Uh, When my dad left for war... Uh, we several times, I was an only child, and several times my mother and I boarded a train and we went to Mississippi from Kentucky and lived there. I was in the fifth grade. Then we went over to New Orleans for a while. And my mom was very, for a Southern girl, she was very civil rights minded. She had a couple of friends who were missionaries in Africa and China. And she taught me that it wasn't right for, at that time they were called colored people, it wasn't right for colored people to have to sit in the back of the bus of the trolley car. So my mom told the drivers that she didn't think it was right, and she always took me to the back of the bus, and we sat with the colored folks, black folks. I'm not trying to be demeaning, but that's the way it was called back then. So my mom taught me that... uh, People are created by God. Uh, Jesus did love all the children of the world, not just the white, not just one particular color, but he created all of us. Then she told me that her mother never got the vote in this country until 1920. And she went back through the history of women's rights and suffrage. And as I grew up and my dad was over in the South Pacific, my mom really taught me some factors of life that have stayed with me all my life. In the workplace, I I think we've made great improvements with women. I think they do have more opportunities. But I have seen myself since I've come back to Kentucky that in some places, especially in the South, I don't think that women are still being treated as equals as they should. And I've seen incidents where uh, some women in the workplace have just been mistreated. Now, I, I, as again, I do think we've made vast improvement, but I wanted to address women and talk about the fact that uh, these people that abuse women, that mistreat women, that uh, this is not right and we should not tolerate it. Well, some of your other chapter headings, uh, the far right and the far left hold us hostage. Uh, Bipartisan teamwork makes a big difference. When you're on top of the mountain, don't fall off. Why can't we be civil about abortion? Martin Luther King Jr. had a dream. How did the red states get red? And then you ask this question in Chapter 11, do gays have the right to pursue happiness in America? Mm -hmm. Yes, I did. And that's a very, very delicate issue. 
And I I grew up, uh, I tell in the book that when I was about 11 or 12 years old, I walked a girl home one night from church, and I knew when I was little I liked girls. Now, I didn't go sit down and make a decision. I didn't go through the pluses and the minus. Am I going to like girls or am I going to like boys? There was no question in my life that I was attracted to girls. And so I don't think I am the judge of what other people are attracted to. I don't understand why a man loves a man or a woman loves a woman. My only feeling is we should not demonize those people. We should still let them have opportunities for happiness in our country. And I have been very, very dismayed. I'm a Southern Baptist, and I've grown up as a Southern Baptist. I handle a lot of duties in that church, and, I, and, and I'm, I'm disappointed that in many cases our churches have not spoken up for the better treatment of gay and lesbian people. Now, I don't think the medical industry has come to a real decisive conclusion about one, why some people are attracted to people of their same sex. <clears throat> but the fact is, God made all of us. And I just believe we don't have to run around with a gay person. We don't have, but, but we can have a toleration and we can treat them right. As long as they treat us right, we can treat them right. Now, I served in the Marine Corps three years active duty and 12 years in the reserves, and I never, ever had an incident of, with a gay person. I didn't know if they were gay or not, and I, <clears throat> but I never had an incident where anybody mistreated me as a man who loved women or a woman now that I, since I've been married but uh, but that is an issue that all I'm saying is we can disagree on it I don't expect everybody to agree with me but at least let's not demonize the people with whom we disagree some other chapter titles are as religious zealots the cause of our hate? Eat the big elephant one bite at a time. Should we never be controversial? Common sense memories of my hometown. Should we have bailed out the auto industry? Use common sense to meet our commitments. And you, then you have some sports focused about the bear and the kid of common sense and Roberto Clemente of the Pittsburgh Pirates. And your final chapter, just wanted to kind of save this for the last couple minutes. Uh, you talk about the dream of an unclouded day. Now tell us about your dream. Okay. Well, that swung is one of my old, all-time favorites about dreaming. Uh, Willie Nelson sang that song very well. And I got to watching how in the Senate and the House and with the President, nobody could work together on anything. And I got to thinking about what if, how would the Lord feel about that? And one thing in my book I never do is proclaim that somehow God gave me this message to tell people. I think God gets blamed for enough things today. So... 
these are my ideas from my experience, but I thought, what what would he like to see if he was looking here <laughs> from my vantage point? And I thought, what if you had Mitch McConnell, who's against everything that Obama's for, and, uh, and you had uh, uh, Bill Clinton up there with Ken Marr, and uh, you had the Bush uh, family, the presidents, and you had uh, Al Gore, and you had uh, uh, Hillary and uh, Laura Bush together, and uh, Sarah Palin, and all of a sudden you had this group of Americans saying, you know, we've got to start thinking about the people. We've got to minister unto the least of these. God has told us, you know, the widow's might was a powerful thing to, to Jesus. Uh, and today, a widow's might doesn't cause anybody to get excited. But that's, she's giving everything. So what if today we suddenly came together and said, let's make life better for others? And in that dream, as it closes, I tell that suddenly God is looking at this scene and he speaks out and he says, this is what I've been looking for. Everybody pulling together for others. Now let's get on the heavenly train and we're going on to glory. And I, I have written some short stories about dreams. And uh, I had a pacemaker defibrillator put in back in 2004, and a strange thing happened after that happened. I started having some real interesting dreams. And one of my buddies that I grew up with, he had one too, and he told when I wrote those articles, he said, the same thing's been happening to me. I had a, I dreamed I was in the Kentucky Derby and won the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> so so I uh, my next book is going to be about dreams. And so I I just decided to close the book with that kind of a dream of an unclouded day, of a day when we all came together. And there wasn't church splits. There weren't animosity between religious groups and that we were all God's children working together to make life better for others. And that was uh, how I decided to close the book. As far as religious zealots, you had also asked about that, if we just have a moment. Uh, I am not anti-religion. And I'm not saying, I, I've always, my wife and I moved around a lot, and we always tried to find a church that would be good for our children to grow up in and make friends and have a good uh, atmosphere for uh, growing up. And we did that, and, and I lived in 11 different states in, uh, in my time, and I attended churches in 11 different states, one territory, Puerto Rico, but uh, I am not advocating that people not continue to go and have a real position and, and, and love for their church. But what I am saying is that over the years of studying history, and I love history, from uh, the Crusades on down, I have found that some of the greatest and atrocious damage to human life has been done by religious zealot groups. And so I give examples of some of these groups, from cults to other organized religion, 
and I have studied the life of Christ carefully, and I have found that organized religion has gotten so far off at times from what Christ's meaning was for life that they become a bureaucracy in themselves. And uh, and so I touch on the, the fact that across the world, many of the wars and many of the pain and sufferings that have come have come from zealot religious groups who will not tolerate anybody that does not accept their position. The title of the book, Have We Lost Our Common Sense? And the author is Bob Terrell. Bob, tell us how to get your book. Uh, they, uh, author House will have, uh, they have a website for uh, purchasing the book. Uh, it'll be in bookstores. Here in Kentucky, I brought about 1,200 in two weeks ago, and I've sold half of them. Uh, I've had three or four book signings. I have more signings that I'm scheduled. I'm going to go to Oklahoma. There's part of my book uh, takes place at the Murrah Building explosion when April 19, 1995. My office was seven blocks from that building, and I had seven employees who lost their wives in that tragic uh, event. And I watched the Democratic president and Republican Governor Keating come together in a healing process that was just marvelous. And they still are friends. And that's the kind of bipartisanship we need. I, uh, I talk about the, the sports experiences I had. I was fortunate to get an athletic scholarship, and that's how I got through school. And I played some minor league baseball, and I have some things about Roberto Clemente, who made a great impact on my life. Uh, he became he and I became friends after my time in the Marine Corps with him, and I watched as he uh, took that trip of mercy and was killed in a tragic plane crash. I I was saddened by that event, but he died in a mercy trip for others, and uh, so I I. Uh, uh, welcome people. I'll, I'll have a website uh, that's www.bobterrellbooks.com, and uh, that website will have information on this book and, and a little bit about my next book and how to communicate with me. I'm really enjoying communicating with people. I have gotten to talk to more people than I knew in the past in Michigan, uh, Texas, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, uh, California, and Texas. It's It's been a wonderful experience for me, and it's really uh, keeping my enthusiasm up and my energy level up. And uh, I, I plan to, as long as God gives me some life, I plan to write a few more books. I hope you and I will be interviewing again someday. No, well, looking forward to it. Looking forward to it, Bob. Well, we want to thank you for being with us on Author Talk. Thanks so much. Okay, and thank you very much. That was Bob Terrell. He is the author of his book, Have We Lost Our Common Sense?